I need to catch my breath after that one. How about you? Sometimes the, one of the advantages of sitting down here in the front, some of you have never seen the front, is to, uh, is to just stop for a moment sometimes and just hear you sing. And it's a, it's a blessing. Can I take the liberty to thank you one more time for the great time that we had last Sunday in uh, our time together? And uh, yeah, amen. And I was just so blessed by not only food for our souls, I hope, and food for our bodies, but just watching everybody enjoy each other and serve, serve one another. And it occurred to me, and I prayed about this, and the Lord told me we should have dinner like that every Sunday <laughs> after, uh, after the service. Gals, just, we, here's what we men say, just throw something together. It'll be, it'll be so easy and, and so great, right? All right, we need to turn our Bibles now to the book of Galatians, do we not? To this great book, to come back to what one writer concerning the book of Galatians calls the book Paul's Manifesto of Justification by Faith Alone Through Christ Alone. You hear that nigh to every week that we're in the book of Galatians. But he also adds his manifesto to all of that that we have in Jesus Christ and the liberty and freedom that it produces in the believer's life to be enjoyed to the very glory of God. In Christ, the Galatians were freed from the works of the law as a means of their salvation and as a means of their sanctification. The gospel has never been Jesus plus anything. It is Christ and Christ alone. The gospel is the good news about Christ and his finished work on the cross. But the Galatians were under bad influence. Paul even calls them false brethren in the book, commonly called Judaizers who came from Jerusalem and to the churches there in Galatia. And they conveyed to those believers, many of them who were new believers and who were new in faith, we're subject to a lot of uh, various things that people tell us. And the Judaizers were telling these Galatians, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also the law. And you've got to keep the law and be circumcised and come under the law again. And it created confusion among, among the Galatians. And Paul's frankly just amazed that they would buy into that. And his argument from the beginning of the book is that man is justified by faith alone through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. It is finished. What was finished? The full and final payment for our sin in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get to chapter 5, verse 1, I know you're in chapter 6, but you just glance back to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, hey, then remember it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm in this new freedom that you have in the gospel. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery by those who want to bring you back under the law as a means of your justification. In verse 13, again, he says, You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom in an opportunity for the flesh. What a great reminder. You're not free to live once as you once lived again. But now you're free to serve Christ in the joy of serving. 
So don't turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In verse 14, he says, when you do that, you're going to fulfill everything the law requires by loving others, loving God supremely, and loving others as you already love yourself. And when you're walking with the Lord, following the Word of God by the grace of God, and coming under the authority of of the Word, walking by the Spirit, he tells you when that's going on, you're not going to carry out the desires of the flesh. There's going to be a battle that's going to go on, yes, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And by the Spirit of God, you can live different than you once lived with reference to the flesh. So he gives them hope in verses 17 and following in chapter 5. These are the, yes, these are the works of the flesh, but you're, you, that, that's where you once were. You don't have to live that way now. And as you follow the Word of God and you come under the authority of the Word and you experience the Spirit's divine enablement in your life to follow Jesus Christ, then there's going to be things like this that the Spirit's going to produce in you and through you that look like Jesus Christ. And it's going to be things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Walk in the Spirit. Enjoy your faith. And as you grow in grace, you're going to grow in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what God is up to in our lives. And he gives another warning, doesn't he, in verse 26. Look there with me. He says, ah, but again, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, hurting one another. Let's not live that way that creates the chaos in the church. So we're told to put away the proud, self-centered works of the flesh, which only create division in the church. And when we walk in the flesh, we're going to hurt each other, but when we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to help each other. And that includes when one of us may have experienced a fall. A fall. Some of you know this story. Uh, Kids were little. Deborah would, we'd try to take a day and she'd pack a lunch for us and and we'd head off to one of our great parks. We've got such great parks in Indiana. And on one of those particular occasions, we had a beautiful day, and I don't remember what park it was, but we got the place where we were going to hit the trails. And being the, the dad and leader of the family, I gave the basic talk to the kids, stay together and so forth, and the trail that we were going to originally get on immediately went down. It descended quite a bit. So I said, follow me. This is The kids know this particular statement. Follow me. And so I got to the head of that descending trail, and I took one step. I lost my footing, and I slid halfway down the trail on my posterior. And, of course, the kids never really understood that. I did that intentionally just to show them <laughs> what can happen if they're not careful on the trail. But in the body of Christ, there's going to be times that there's going to be a fall. And it's not going to be physical. It's going to be spiritual. Now, we all battle with sin. We're reminded of that this morning, and most all of you know Romans 7. If you don't, read it today. Because the things we want to do often we don't. The things we don't want to do we do, correct? 
wretched man that I am, the Apostle Paul says. But then there's times. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews 12 for just a moment. Just a moment. There are times when a brother or sister in the faith is stuck in a hard way. Might even be you this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Now I want to start with something deep. I hope you're able to handle this. Chapter 12 comes right after chapter 11. Amen? How profound, right? But in chapter 11, we have a chapter full of people who persevered in the faith. They went before us and they showed us that Christ is worthy. Many of them to the death, to the cross, their own cross, their own death. But they were faithful. And what the Apostle Paul is doing, excuse me, I don't know if it was him, the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing, is when we get to chapter 12, he gives us that therefore, that therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that he's mentioned throughout that chapter, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, ensnared us when you think about a trap. And ultimately, its desire is to enslave us. The nature of sin. Back to Galatians chapter 6. And within the church, within the body of Christ, among God's people, now I'm talking to believers, among God's people, there will be those who lose the battle with temptation and sin in a major way in a way in which they're down and out. They're entangled. They're struggling. And they cannot get out of their mess, dealing with their sin and, 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 and their inability to get back right with God and right with others. They're, they're, they're struggling on their own. And Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Paul has something to say to us about that. God has something to say to us through the Apostle Paul and guided by, guided by the Holy Spirit. In these verses, in verses 1 through verse 5, we are told what the church is to do about a struggling brother or sister who's down and out for the count. And we're to be, as we heard in the first hour this morning, he's going to tell us in these verses that we're to be all in for one another. All in. Maybe you've heard that analogy about a guy who walks along and he falls in a deep pit and he can't get out of that thing. And a brother in the faith comes along and says, what are you doing there? Moves on. Another brother or sister comes along and says, wow, you ought not to be in there. You ought to get out of there. And it moves on. Another brother and sister comes along and says, hey, that's really foolish to be down in there. You ought to be out of there. And moves on. And then there's somebody else that comes along and says, hey, here's my hand. I want to help you get out of there. Help you get out of there. Notice how he starts verse 1 of chapter 6. Look there with me. Verse 1 of chapter 6, brethren. He reminds us 
of what we are. We heard that so clearly this morning, brothers and sisters in the faith. Remember this verse from the book of Proverbs? How can you if this is not on? There we go. Proverbs 17, 17. Want to say it with me? A friend loves it, and a brother is born for adversity. Yeah. Ryrie says of that particular passage, you find out who your friends are when you're in real trouble. Maybe we could say we would find out who our real brother or sister is when we're really struggling or in real, in real trouble. So notice how he begins. This is not an accident. Brothers and sisters in the faith, this term of endearment that reminds us of our relationship to Christ, which brings us into relationship with one another. Now we belong to one another. And as brothers and sisters in the faith, we then are to love one another, which means we are not necessarily feeling warm and fuzzy about one another, but we are committed to one another or called to that throughout the Bible. And that means then that we care for one another. So what is the... Uh, what does the Word of God have us to think about this, about a fallen brother or sister? And here's the circumstances. What has happened? Look at the verse, beginning of the verse. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespasses, it's an aorist idea, something happened. Now it's an ongoing circumstance. We could read, if anyone among you, Right? If any one of you, paraphrase, when, we could read it, when someone is caught, for it will happen. We don't want it. It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to take place in your life. Pastor's not preaching a message now that all of us have to have a season where we just blow it and we fall out. No. But some are going to lose in the struggle. If anyone is caught, notice that word caught, some of our Translation, I think if you have King James, it says something like overtaken. The word just means what it says here. Caught. It doesn't say how or in what manner or what's taken place. The initial idea that you have when you're caught is you might tend to think somebody is found out, right? Someone, someone saw you or caught you or you walked in, whatever, with reference to the sin that's taking place. The old idea of you were caught, like mom used to say to me when she told me to stay out of the stuff in the refrigerator and she would catch me red-handed, right? Right in it. That can be one idea of it here. You were caught, maybe you were caught by the police. Who knows? Maybe you were caught in a lie. Maybe you were caught in that sin. Caught with somebody who isn't your somebody. Married people, whatever. The term prolambano is, is, is just that. But there's another understanding of this, and I, I want to explain to you why. It can also well be, by the use of this word, it can also allow for the idea of being caught by the sin itself. That is, even a situation where a brother or sister might come to you and say, I'm blowing it, man. Or I, I, 
I don't know where to start, but I'm going to tell you, I'm in a real mess. And they're caught with reference to the sin, not, not discovered, but the sin has overtaken them. That's why this word that's translated in the New American Standard, trespass, has the idea just crossing the line and finding yourself there, so to speak. You've made a foolish and uh, sinful choice that led to more of that sin and more of it. And now the sin that you thought you could handle, now it's got you, owns you. That's the nature of sin. Wiersbe says the blinding, grinding, and binding nature of sin. Do not be deceived of the power of it in our lives. So when we're being God's kind of people, we are continually dealing with temptation. We are continually acknowledging our sin and repenting of our sin. But there will be times, some, that one way or another, it happened. Swindoll says it this way, don't we? Appreciate the way he always so clearly says things. He's talking about this guy, which is, well, be a man or a woman, we know that. He says he lets his guard down and he wanders farther and farther away from the path of submission to God and obedience to his word and is now overtaken by the snares of the world. Caught in that sense. James closes his book with this, doesn't he? What a good reminder, James says. My brethren, term, term again, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, I want to tell you something. If you're, if you're not walking with the Lord and somebody comes up and calls you to account regarding that and offers themselves to be of help to you, you don't know what kind of friend that you have. Turn him from the error of his way. So here's the point. Whether caught as in found out or caught as to be overtaken by a sin, either way, he's in trouble and in a mess. He needs help to get out of it, to be brought to a place of where he or she can be right with God, right with others, truly repents and be on the path of a growing and serving member of the body of Christ. So there it is. What's going on here? Someone's caught in any trespass. Now notice the next words. Verse 1, yet you, and it's an emphatic, you who are spiritual, Restore, you're to get involved. You're to help him. Who's going to help him? Who qualifies to help him? You who are spiritual. You say, that leaves me out. I don't always feel so spiritual. Nobody's ever called me spiritual. (laughs) So that leaves me out. But it's an emphatic. Say, someday maybe when I get really super spiritual, maybe then I can help somebody else. But that's not the idea. The idea, you who are spiritual, is to be taken in the context of the previous verses. And the people who are spiritual are people who are walking in the Spirit. They're not living perfect lives, but they're living for the Lord. 
And the emphatic nature of this is to the whole church. Trust that you're walking with the Lord and he's saying, hey, you, you who may be made aware, might be somebody, you were in on, you saw what was going on. You who love the Lord. Your your, your task is not to announce his or her sin and struggle to the church. You're to help them. You're to be involved in helping them recover. You say, well, that can get messy. Sin is messy. Yeah, it really is. And it gets messier before it gets better. But 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we'll turn there, but it says, the strong are called to help the weak. So who is the emphatic to? You. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you spending time in his word? Can you say this morning, man, I came with a right heart before the Lord to enjoy him and enjoy his word and worship him and being a blessing to others? And he's talking to you. And if that's not you, you ought to repent and become you. You. You have the Spirit and are not walking in the flesh. You who are walking in love. Walking in love. Then you care about that person's and their predicament, then you care about yourself. And your burden for them. Your burden for them. So you, you who are living for the Lord, walking in the Spirit, you're to restore such a one. Boy. And what an important qualifier. You see, if you're not walking with the Lord, you're not going to be much good at helping somebody else. In fact, you may be the next one we're praying for. So what a warning we have in this passage. Likewise, Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about walking in wisdom, walking carefully. So, but when, when, when you're right with the Lord and growing, and you're aware, you become aware of somebody who's fallen and can't get up on their own, part of your growth and part of your sanctific- sanctification may well be that you help them with their struggle. Now, stop for a moment. You can't make anybody else do the right thing. But you can do the right thing in calling other people to repentance and to fellowship with the Lord. But notice, here's your goal. If anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. Everybody say say the word restore. No matter what's going on at any level with any believer to any extreme, all the way to church discipline, the goal is the same, restoration. We don't want to get you out. We want to keep you in. And we want to help you be right with the Lord. Now again, you can't make anybody else repent. You can't make others do what's right. But you do right, and God can use you. And it's a command. You, emphatic idea here, restore. John Stott says to restore simply means to put back in order to repair to repair. And, and you know, if you've heard this text before or read anything about it or footnotes, in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, the same word is used of mending net, nets to again make them useful. And a net with all kinds of hole in it, holes in it isn't going to catch much fish, right? 
And that's the idea. It has to be repaired to be functional again, to be useful again. That's, what, that's the goal, restoration, to be functional again, to be useful again, be restored to the Lord. The word is also used in the medical world of the New Testament of setting a broken bone or putting a joint back in its place. Back to a position of being restored. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Again, if you would, for just a moment, I want you to catch this terminology. In Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 12, with me, to restore them. Restore them. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths of your feet so that the limb, which is inserted here, but the idea is bones, which is lame, may be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's the very idea here. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But he's closing up in 12 and 13 and reminding us of our commitment to one another and people who are feeble, weak, struggling, want to do what we can, what we can to help them. Now, dear brothers and sisters this morning that are here, dear brothers and sisters, those that are hearing this message this morning, we do not aid a brother or sister by beating them over the head with their sin. Nor do we help a brother or sister who's down and out by downplaying their sin and simply telling them everybody else has got their struggles. Sure they do, but we are to be a people together who hate sin, repent of sin, and move away from it. So those two extremes are wrong. What do we do then when a brother or sister is in this situation, when they are caught? We offer hope that is ours in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. We offer hope in what Christ has done. And based on what he's done, no one is beyond being able to be restored. Yeah, it can be a process. But somebody ought to be saying hallelujah, amen to that right now. Amen? Not beyond hope. We need to give that person hope. Because of the cross, because of the grace of God. So we convey to that person, wait a minute. There's great hope in the Bible concerning this. First John 1, 9 and other places. You can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. You can have victory over this sin. You can be restored. But you're going to have to practice the ABCs of sin, Remember? ABCs of dealing with our sin. You have to start right there. You acknowledge your sin. No one's going to be restored from their sin if they don't acknowledge their sin. We don't get to blame our environment or everybody else. So we acknowledge it. B, we we don't blame anybody else. And C, we confess. And confess means that we agree with God about that sin how offensive it is to the God of heaven. And when we confess, the Bible tells us we can be cleansed. And the ABCs of sin then sets us up. Now we also must repent of that sin. Now we've got to turn away from it. 
Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now you've got to repent. Now you've got to turn from it. So, so now, now you repent of it, and repentance sets you up for replacement. And to replace that now with what is true and right and good and holy. And to the degree that you're down that path, and God may be calling you to help that person get there, as you're heading now down that path, though, then you can experience the restored joy of your salvation that David talks about in Psalm 51. Let me take you to help him get there. And you have one major tool, one major tool in your toolbox to help him get there. It's on your lap. It's the Scriptures. Because, beloved, don't you dare ever think you restore anybody. You haven't restored any, and you didn't restore yourself to Christ. God's going to have to restore them. But he's calling you to bring this scripture to bear upon what's going on in their life and for them to see the holiness of God and see the seriousness of sin and what God says about being restored. But we have hope. We have hope. But we have one main tool in our toolbox above all else. It's God who's going to have to bring the repentance. It's God who's going to have to change the heart. It's God who's going to restore. But he's called you to bring the scriptures to bear, to help them in that process. That's your goal. Restore them. Restore them. How do you go about that? Here's the manner that you go about restoring a brother. Look at our text again. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness. I know one who is meek and gentle. Let me tell you about him. He said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, and I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's Jesus. Gentle, meek. Hurting people need gentle care. Up the road, out here in Dan Jones, there's a dentist office that said, or the thing outside that advertised says, uh, gentle dentist. That's my kind of dentist. Amen? You know, not putting your hand on my forehead and say, hey, get ready, and yanking that baby out. Right? With gentleness, and people are hurting. They need us to be gentle. In fact, when I'm hurting, I want you to be really gentle with me. When you're rebuking me, people call my weaknesses and my sin to my attention. I want you to be gentle, right? Broken bone, wow. Jesus was gentle every way. So a tenderness you to restore, you want a tenderness that you would desire if you were the one being restored. And that was Christ. Give that person hope. Love on them. Say, hey, Christ is worthy, and God's grace is sufficient. You can come out of this. You can come out of this, but we're going to have to do some things. You have to be serious about some things. So restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now know what it says next. Don't miss what it says next. Each one, or looking, but the idea is implying each one of us, looking to your own self. Why? Read next. 
purpose clause so that you too will not be tempted. You better help him put it in red ink or all caps, cautiously. Cautiously. John Street said, with one eye on yourself while you're helping them. Each one looking to yourself. Why? So that you too also will not be tempted. You know the capacity of your own soul for that same sin and worse than that. So you've got to be careful. You've got to remember Proverbs 4.23, and you know it by heart, right? It says, watch over or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it springs all the issues of life. You've got to guard your own heart. And you're going to get involved with people who are struggling or really, really messed up in sin. You've got to be very, very, very careful of your own heart. And let me tell you what else. Of your own mind. Of your own mind. And so let me tell you what that means. That means you don't need all the details of some, some person's gory fall. You don't need those details. You don't need all the details of some immorality. You don't need all the details of some impurity. You don't need all, all the details of what you did and stealing or whatever else went on. You don't need all the details. You need enough of the basic, basic truths to call that person to repentance and restoration. So you don't need all the details of their fall necessarily. You, you, you don't need to hear a brother recite every detail of his sin. We know enough about sin already, do we not? Amen? We know enough about that already. We don't need to recite that. We need to help him hate the sin, flee from it. We want to do it carefully. Carefully, with gentleness. Looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. So it kind of summarizes it up in verse 2, but I'm going to say it one more way concerning this. Not only with gentleness, and not, not only uh, with caution, but likewise with compassion. Where do you get that? I get that from verse 2. How do you get that? It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is that I love my brother in the love of Christ, with the compassion of Jesus Christ. With compassion. Verse 2 is a command. Bear, take up, hold, carry. Zodiati uses that word bear here or take up. He uses it with reference to a slave would carry all the objects necessary to travel for its master. That's the idea. Pick up. If he's fallen down, you're helping him be picked up. Jesus used this same term in Luke 14.27 when Jesus used used the term when he called his followers to take up their own cross and follow him. Bear one another's burdens, baras. That word for burden there is an excessive weight or load which has the capacity to overwhelm you and that's what's going on with that person. Excessive weight. Paul uses an example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, 
when he talks about what it was like for him and those with him in Asia. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, there it is, burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul is saying we thought that was going to be the end. So the word that is used in verse 2 speaks of his burden, her burden, that is overwhelming them. A weight they can't carry on their own. Now, they can because Christ's sufficient, but you've got to help them get there. Or as one person expressed, the burden for the fallen brother is the excessive weight of the temptation that he cannot handle his own on his own. And without your help, he can easily fall right back into the same mess. So help him up. Fulfill the law of Christ. Love him. Serve him. Plenty of verses on that, don't we? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this. One lay down his life for his friend. Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There we are. Love him, help him, help him. And to love and restore means that you will pray for him or her, but more. Now, I don't know what all that more is going to be. Some accountability, study the word with him, help him get forgiveness where necessary. It may be restitution, right? What has to be done to repair things that were hurt, whatever. Get him involved in serving others, get him focus off of himself, herself, care group, whatever. Simply put, you're doing whatever you can to help him or her be restored to God and to others and to the church. That's your goal. That's your goal. And if you get to help somebody be restored, man, rejoice. Be re- just rejoice in any way God can use you to help somebody else get on track with the Lord. Be so grateful for that. But remember this, you are not the great restorer. In fact, thank you, Paul. In verse 3, he says, you ain't nothing. (laughs) You are nobody. Thank you for the encouragement this morning, Pastor. Amen? Look at the verse. Look at verse 3. This is so appropriate. You can initially, you know, if you're kind of full of yourself, you get to verse 3 and go, whoa, did Paul have a bad day? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But wait a minute. It's not you. It's not you. Here's the main idea, verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4. Be careful of your own pride here. Be careful of your own pride. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, write it down. You who think you stand, what? Take heed lest you fall. Yeah, there it is. He's saying, be careful here. It's not about you. It's not about you. You say, God has called me to go about the church fixing everybody's problem. 
Help us, Lord. I'm the great restorer. Wait a minute. (laughs) Because he fell and not you, you might think that you are... Help me here. You might think that you are better, and you ain't. You're not. You're not better. And because God used you, it may be in some way to help him or her be restored, you might think you're the great restorer. And you're not. You're not. But you're willing to be used. And you want to love others more than you love yourself. And if God providentially brings that person into your life, you become aware he's your brother. She's your sister. Watch out for pride. You're not the great restorer. And I want to speak to men as a man for just a moment. You're not the great restorer of women. Married men, you don't restore women. That's not your job. Or at work. Some gal comes to you and she got all this stuff going on. You might feel so full of yourself that she'd come to you and whatever, and you're going to be trying to give counsel. You're going to be a fool. Can I just say it? Oh, I want all the wives to say with me, you're going to be a fool. Everybody say, wives say that. You're going to be a fool. Fool. You could have said it louder, gals, but, you know, you will be. It ain't your job to fix women. Their struggles. It, bring your wife along. Refer to one of the women in the church. And that's your job, man. More times, more times. You're, you're, you're involved where you ought not to be involved with someone. Works both ways, but I just want to say that as men to men in love of our men this morning. Stay away from that one. If you're, but she got problems and you're a young guy and she's a young gal, just marry her then, solve all that. Excuse me. It's, it's not in my notes. Not in my notes. <laughs> but look at it one more time, would you? We all need to hear this. Anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, he builds on it. But each one must examine his own work. Oh, yeah. And then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. That is, your standard is it's easy to make the fallen person your standard because you're not the one fallen. But that's not your standard. Your standard is the Word of God in Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a day for you and I as believers, if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then, then, we'll find out who is pleasing to God. That's not your salvation. That's your service. But 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, there is a day that we stand before him and allow what we might be impressed with might be wood, hay, and stubble burned away. And but there's going to, as our, the man who God used in the 1960s to help start Plainfield Bible Church used to say oftentimes in preaching on the theme of the judgment seat of Christ, he, he said, I want you to remember that it is more than just an awards banquet. So the standard, the acid test, is the Word of God. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Men, I'm stuck. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 4-5. There we go. Thank you. Listen to this verse. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Examine, just a common word. Crino has has the idea of something being tested to be brought to, like the metals, and to be refined. That's the idea here. You can be refined through your own challenges, and we'll see how that goes, or the motive of your heart in helping somebody else. So watch out for your pride. One more warning down in verse five. And he reminds us, for each one will bear his own load. Or some of our translation says each one will bear his own burden. But it's not the same word as the bear, the burden, the burden in verse 2. It's a different word. And the idea is, and it makes sense to us, doesn't it? It could read each one of us is going to have to deal with our own responsibilities in our own life and in our own walk. That's the idea of our own responsibilities. It's one thing to aid a brother with his burden, but you still have your own burdens and responsibilities. So you still have to pull your own weight. You're going to have to face your own temptations, your own trials, and your own struggles. In the course of life, young people head off to school tomorrow, and they'll all have a backpack, right? Everybody has their own backpack. That's the idea here. We all got our own weight to carry. So verse 5 is a warning. If, if, you, are, if you are not persever- persevering in your own sanctification you're going to be setting yourself up for a fall. So, there's a man with a burden. How many of you have read anything or aware of Pilgrim's Progress? How many? Yes, so many of you. I could be Pilgrim and his burden, but it was yours too. It was yours too. And where was your burden taken care of? Where did, where did Pilgrim find rest for his soul? At the cross. At the cross. And through the work of Christ, Jesus taking our burden on himself allowed his righteousness to be placed upon us. And to gain his righteousness and his forgiveness and to be forgiven, yes. And on the basis of that, now we have opportunity because others are burdened likewise. Others that are burdened without Christ and they need the gospel. And others who know Christ are burdened under the weight of a sin 
This got him caught. I thank God for you being friendly, church. People tell me that. I'm just telling you that because people tell me that. I tell them they're not all friendly. I know that. I thank God for you being a servant-minded people. We know that. We hear that. We, we can't look at Christ without being servant-minded. I just had fun watching people serving while I sat there and ate uh, last Sunday. But are we a burden-bearing church that we love others more than we love ourselves and we're willing to give of ourselves to help others? We cannot make people, we cannot make people do right, but we'll help them if they want to. But we'll point them to the Scriptures and to Christ and he's worthy to give of ourselves. What it's going to take, I don't know. We'll take money or time, whatever else. But what could be better than to be used to help somebody get back right on track with the Lord and rejoice with God working in their lives together and giving all glory to God? All glory to God. Everybody say amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Wow. It brings us into accountability. And there's times we just say, hey, I got my own baggage. Yeah, we do. But we're to die to ourselves, and we are to live for Christ and others. And so where this will be applicable in our lives, maybe in our families, in our homes, at work, maybe certainly in our church, among others that we love, may we be gentle, cautious, compassionate, and knowing that any work in a heart is going to be by the grace of God. And all of you, all of you, Father, and we give you praise for what you've done in removing our own burden in Jesus Christ. If that be somebody here today and says, "Uh, Pastor, if you knew, (laughs) then may they walk over to that prayer and counseling room today and say, hey, I ask that you would pray for me and help me. And that would be what we're called to do. And we'll give you thanks for it in Christ's name. And all his people said, amen.